Pete Carroll was understandably frustrated speaking with reporters yesterday coming off the Seahawks. Fourth consecutive loss, giving up over 500 yards of offense to the 49ers. Is there a quick fix that can be made by Carroll and the coaching staff to get this defense playing better with just four games left to play? Rob Rang and I will be discussing and debating here on our latest installment of Locked On Seahawks. You are Locked On Seahawks, your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Greetings 12. This is Corbin Smith, host of the Locked On Seahawks podcast, your daily Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Glad to be joined as always by my co-host in crime, Rob Rank, and a special thanks to each and every one of the 12s out there, whether you're listening down in Kitsap County or you're across country listening in Boston, Massachusetts. We greatly appreciate each and every one of you for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We've got a jam-packed Tuesday episode coming your way. As always, tell the truth Tuesday. We're going to be looking at whether or not a major rebuild may be on the horizon for the Seahawks and a number of other topics coming out of Sunday's loss, moving into the final four games as well. And we're going to take a first look at the Monday night opponent coming up, the Philadelphia Eagles defending NFC champions. Jam-packed episode is coming to you from our friends over at Game Time. Download the Game Time app, create an account, and use the code LOCKEDNFL for $20 off your first purchase. Last-minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. Now for your lead story here on our Tuesday edition of Locked On Seahawks. Pete Carroll is normally not a coach that is going to throw his players under the bus. In fact, he tends to avoid critiquing them in a negative light in public, at least in press conferences. That's not normally Pete Carroll's style. But we saw, Rob, a little bit different style Pete Carroll yesterday coming out of that loss in Santa Clara. The frustration starting to boil over. I talked about that someone yesterday's episode. But now that I've had a chance to listen to that press conference again, there was one particular segment that really jumped out to me that I think if you read between the tea leaves, you can really sense where Pete Carroll, what he's feeling like right now coming out of this loss. Take a listen. Yeah, let me go to the first part of that one. It's really disappointing for me that, that with all the work we put in that we, we miss on an opportunity to do something right. You know, we, we, we practice and, and, and prepare to do right in the games. That's really what this whole thing is all about. And so when the time presents itself the opportunity presents itself you're in the right spot and you see things the right way and you do and you respond per, you know perfectly just what we're trying to get done and so whenever uh, uh that doesn't show up I, I i take it personal you know it's it's personal it's a personal uh response out of me because i'm trying to get these guys right and it isn't, it isn't as clean or sharp as it should be so when we miss a route read and we and they score a touchdown on third and long you know that that pisses me off in a lot of ways on a lot of levels and uh you know, we have to do better. You know, we have to recognize and see it. And then when we give up easy stuff, you know, whether it's on either side of the ball, it, it uh, things that we've worked on really hard, there's things that happen in games for the first time often. You know, there's a new play, it's a new twist, it's this or that happens. A guy, you know, the ball bounces differently or they make a cut or something that makes makes a different response for the players necessary. Um, those things, you know, you, you can understand that. And th those happen, we, we try to survive those things as they happen. But when things happen the way we prepare them, that, that's, we need to do better than that. And that's, 
when you're playing a really good team, you're going to lose that way. And that's that's what happened. You know, this was a really good football game. This was a lot of battling going on. We moved the football on them, too, and we did a lot of good things. But uh, um, they were more capable than we were in the in the crucial moments of making the plays that needed to be made. And, you know, give them credit. They won the game. Read between the tea leaves. I know that he didn't explicitly come out and say it's time to make some changes, but that's what I take from what Pete Carroll said yesterday uh, with the verbiage and, and some of the explicit language there that we're hearing from, at least from Pete Carroll's standards, explicit language. It's clearly evident that he is frustrated and he was willing to call out Jamal Adams and Julian Love yesterday on the ESPN uh, Seattle uh, sports show that he does every Monday morning. He said he's not afraid to mention them for the mistakes they made. Again, these are not things we usually see from Pete Carroll, but that's where he is at right now. He is really disappointed with where this defense is at. Fans certainly are, and it hints that there could be changes on the horizon. So, Rob, I'm going to ask you this right now. we got four games left to play. You're not going to see any earth-shattering changes. The trade deadline happened more than a month ago. The Seahawks aren't going to be bringing anybody else in. But if you're looking for any ways to quick fix this defense, what would be something that you would do right now to try to help this group get jump started here with four games left to play? Well, I think exactly like what uh, but Pete Carroll already did, Corey. But I think that just by calling some people out publicly, uh, acknowledging some of the problems, acknowledging some of the freelancing, frankly, that we're seeing from some of Seattle's defenders. And I, I think that the uh, the biggest culprit of that has been Jamal Adams. And so um, to mention his name, um, you know, I think, as you said, is a is a significant departure than what Pete Carroll has done throughout his, you know, entire time here in Seattle, and even previously at USC and the New York Jets with the uh, the New England Patriots. That's just never been his style. But you are seeing some of the Seahawks players who are just—it's making it more about them. Um, than it is about the team. And so I think that Pete Carroll is doing the exact same thing here. He's basically making it about them rather than the team as well. Just saying, hey, if, you, if you're going to do that, I'm going to do that here as well. So to me, it's, it's what are you going to do moving forward? Uh, I think that uh, some of the things that the Seahawks can do moving forward, frankly, I think that you should consider benching Jamal Adams. Uh, now, Julian Love also made some mistakes in this football game, but still, I think that he can do a lot of the same things that Jamal Adams is being asked to do, especially because Jamal Adams is not being is not successfully getting to the quarterback as a pass rusher. That's always been his greatest area of, uh, of strength. Um, I, I think that you also have seen some big plays from from Kobe Bryant. And so I would, uh, you know, kind of welcome the, the Seahawks kind of moving in that direction, perhaps getting Mike Jackson at the cornerback position on the field a little bit more. While he certainly isn't the elite athlete that, say, a Reek Woolen is, and Reek Woolen is, is, uh, you know, has, has missed as many tackles this season as anybody, it feels like, on, on the Seahawks' defensive side of the football. Mike Jackson is a more sound overall defensive player. Uh, and so, again, to me, those are two of the things I think that the Seahawks can do. I, I know that there are a number of other ideas out there as well at different positional groups. But to me, the secondary is where I have been most disappointed with the Seahawks so far this season. Yeah, I'm in full agreement. And anybody that listened to the last couple episodes knows where I stand on Jamal Adams' play right now. It's been extremely disappointing. I posted a play on my Threads account today. Debo Samuel was running a jet sweep and 
it basically looked like Jamal Adams was trying to play Olay. He just stuck his arm out. It was it was a lackluster effort trying to tackle one of the toughest guys in the league to tackle. He didn't work to get off of Brandon Ayuk's block either. Those would be the kind of plays. I'd sit Jamal Adams down and I'd say, I don't care how much money that we are paying you. I don't care how many snaps you expect to play because of who you are, the all pros you get to your name. We're going to start from scratch here, and we are going to just use you as a situational player right now. And you got to prove to us that you can earn all the snaps we're giving you back because that's the way that it's got to be. It's always compete in Seattle. That should include big-name players like Jamal Adams who have had injuries. And I like that you mentioned Kobe Bryant. You know, Give him an opportunity to play some of those sub-package roles or play three linebackers. Devin Bush is a really good athlete. He's arguably as good at moving right now as what Jamal Adams is based on what we saw this past weekend. So maybe less is more with Jamal Adams. If you're using him as a situational player for the price tag, that's not what you want to hear, but maybe you get more bang for your buck playing him in that type of a role right now to close out the season. And from a positive standpoint, Draymond Jones should be playing off edge the majority of his snaps right now because the Seahawks cannot count on Daryl Taylor. And Derek Hall is a rookie. He's had his struggles, did not play well on Sunday. They've missed Uchenna Nuosu. Draymond Jones gives them size, and I feel like he is playing better football, playing that end spot where he is able to sometimes stand up. He had a fairly productive game against the 49ers on Sunday. they got to do whatever they can to try to help set the edge, which has been a real problem. They've clearly given up on the Frank Clark experiment. Carroll acknowledged yesterday that he didn't make the trip because he knew he wasn't going to be active for the game. So they've got some serious issues there, but I think Draymond Jones, you can count on him more playing that position and it's going to help mitigate that weakness now the Seahawks have without Uchenna Nuosu. Those are some personnel things they can do. I think they've got to find a way to shake things up a little bit but again there's four games left. You're not going to be able to reinvent the wheel here. You're not going to be making any big acquisitions. You got to work with what you've got and I think the Seahawks just got to mix things up personnel wise to get the performance that they are looking for because clearly the message is not getting home for a number of these players, including some big name, big name guys in this defense that just quite frankly aren't playing anywhere close to what the Seahawks need them to to be successful. Coming up next, it's Tell the Truth Tuesday. If you didn't think we were already dishing out some uh, tasty uh, takes here, it's going to get interesting here this next segment as we. Dish out some wisdom coming out of Sunday's game with four games left to go in the 2023 season. You're listening to the Tuesday edition of Locked On Seahawks, which is brought your way by Game Time. If you've ever been in the hunt for sports or concert tickets at the last minute, especially around the holidays, the process can be anxiety-provoking. Buying tickets to your favorite events shouldn't be stressful or make you pull your hair out to look like me. Game Time is fast, and it's an easy way to buy tickets for all the sports, music, comedy, and theater near you. Killer deals on last-minute tickets and the best price guarantee so you can stop stressing over the tickets and start getting hyped for the fun you're going to have. If you want to see the Seahawks battle this upcoming week against the Eagles on Monday Night Football, using Game Time's awesome flash deals feature in a detailed stadium map, you can find excellent seats for under 110 bucks right now, and it's super easy. Forget planning months in advance. Game Time has deals on tickets right up to the day of the event, and the Game Time guarantee means you'll always get the very best price. If you find tickets in the same section in a row for less, Game Time will credit you 110% of the difference. Snag the tickets without the stress with Game Time. Download the Game Time app, create an account, and use the code LOCKEDONNFL for $20 off your first purchase. Again, create an account, redeem the code LOCKEDONNFL for $20 off 
Download Game Time today. Last minute tickets, lowest price, guaranteed. You're listening to the Tuesday edition of Locked on Seahawks. This is your host, Corbett Smith. Glad to be joined, as always, by my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. And a special thanks to each and every one of the 12s out there. Thank you for making Locked on Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We greatly appreciate it. And make sure to check out Locked on Sports. We've got the first 24-7 streaming channel now on the network on YouTube. Locked on Sports today, 24-7 coverage of the top stories in sports with local experts from Locked on plus our national show hosts that cover every single league. Go to Locked On Sports today on YouTube and subscribe to the first ever national sports 24-7 streaming channel. It's Tell the Truth Tuesday, and, and unfortunately, we've had to tell a lot of hard truths, a lot of harsh realities about this Seahawks football team in recent weeks, losing five of their last six, four consecutive games for the first time in the Pete Carroll era. And while I expect that there will be a few positives in this segment, I also expect, Rob, that... With the state of this team, you know, sometimes you got to tell that dirty truth. And right now it's not looking good for the Seattle Seahawks football team. No, it's not. Uh, and so that's the thing is why, is why it's kind of critical to uh, I think that the Seahawks have to look themselves in the mirror while I'm going to kind of shut off the, the, the fanboy kind of, uh, you know, persona that I think that that some uh, think that I have, maybe that we have, maybe that a lot of the Seattle media has when it comes to the Seahawks. Look, Pete Carroll and, and the Seattle Seahawks deserve an awful lot of credit for the success that they have had. But one of the arguments I'm going to make here over the next couple of moments, Corbin, is I, I really feel like this is not a team that is showing any signs of any kind of, of real, uh, you know, playoff contention. And I think that that starts the quarterback position. Now, again, I, I've been as, as, as much of a, a, a Geno Smith fan um, as anybody over the last couple of seasons. I, I thought that it was amazing, basically, what he did a year ago. Absolutely deserved the, the comeback player of the year in the NFL, deserved the contract that he got back from the Seahawks. But the you know, I often say the proof is in the pudding. And if you look at Geno Smith's numbers a year ago compared to what they are right now, uh, the, the fact that, that Drew Locke I thought was okay against, uh, you know, a week ago against the San Francisco 49ers, but I didn't think that he was a difference maker. I think that you could make a strong argument that the Seahawks have the fourth best quarterback situation in the NFC West division, not the best as they often had uh, throughout the Russell Wilson era when this team was going to the playoffs and actually making um, some noise in the playoffs. Again, when you look at Geno Smith's numbers just a year ago, I mean, he led the NFL, of course, a 69 eight percent completion rate that's dropped off now currently to 64.4 but that's middle of the pack a, a year ago he had a 30 to 11 touchdown to interception ratio basically three to one this year it's 15 to nine uh you know and, and that despite the fact that um this year the CX have only allowed 27 sacks of Geno Smith. Obviously, he missed this last game, whereas he was taken down 46 times a year ago. And so he is getting better protection in some ways. He is obviously has a, a new toy out there at the wide receiver position, two of them, in fact. With the two rookies and JSN and Jake Bobo, and yet the production just has not been there. So, to me, I, I think what this all comes down to is the fact that the Seahawks, I think, is absolutely critical that they 
wind up selecting a quarterback this year in the 2024 NFL draft. That could come in the first round. It absolutely should come within the first couple of rounds. This is a very good quarterback class. And as we were saying before, um, where the Seahawks have to make some moves on the defensive side of the ball, frankly, I think they have to make some moves at the most important position in sports quarterback position as well. Yeah, I think you can make a really sound argument now that this is going to be the right time, especially with this class coming in. And if the Seahawks miss the playoffs, like it looks like they're going to, you're going to have a high enough draft pick that you can get a quality young quarterback in this draft class. So it feels like this really is setting up to be the year that John Schneider is going to go out and get that QB. And that doesn't mean that Geno Smith can't be your starter next year and have a young guy learn under him. That's maybe an ideal situation. It's the Packers' way of doing things. but regardless of who's playing quarterback. And I think this is part of the reason that Geno Smith's numbers are where they are. I am sick and tired of, on this podcast, day in, day out, talking about the underutilization of the tight end position. It's gotten to the point where my head is about to explode because I'm not going to sit here and say that I'm a rocket scientist. I'm not going to sit here and say that I should be the play caller for the Seattle Seahawks. I don't have the resume to do that, but I think anybody that understands the game of football can watch this Seahawks team and you can just see the difference that is made in the passing game when they get the tight ends involved. One drive, Noah Fant had a 20-plus yard catch. A couple plays later, Colby Parkinson, 25-yard touchdown. And they're instantly in the end zone. And then you go three drives where there isn't a single touch for any of these tight ends. It is extremely frustrating to watch, especially when you look at games like the Detroit game where tight ends were heavily utilized not just to help in pass protection, but to get involved in the passing game. This offense has been at its best the last several years when tight ends are getting involved in the passing game. And yet we see long stretches where there's no Noah Fant. There's no Colby Parkinson. Will Disley, I forget he's on the football team sometimes. And that should not be the case when you've got a really good dynamic tight end group with three players that offer different strengths and they all have developed into quality enough blockers that they're not going to handicap you if you put them out there in run blocking situations. It's just mind numbing to me. And you can make the argument, yeah, JSN coming to town or an 11 personnel more. We just don't have the need to, to run multiple tight end sets, but They've got to find a way to do it, and it just feels like at this point, I just don't understand why Shane Waldron has not leaned more on the tight end position. It's just frustrating, and it just feels like this offense has really had its ceiling limited by the fact they're not using that position correctly. I 100% agree, and I think that the same argument could be made at the the edge rusher role. As you mentioned a a couple of moments ago, I think that we're going to see Draymond Jones likely be sliding outside um, because we have not seen anybody kind of pick up the slack um, at the edge rusher role since Uchenna Nuosu went down. Look, uh, let's give, uh, in the the sake of giving people some credit, let's give, uh, you know, Bobby Wagner, who was recently named the Seahawks Man of the Year, and it's being... you know, their vote, their vote for the NFL man of the year. But I think it's very clear that Uchenna Nwosu essentially has become the Seahawks de facto uh, MVP of this season, because once he went down, not only did the Seahawks lose their most accomplished pass rusher, and boy, Imafi had a nice little run, but that's seven sack seven consecutive game performances, still the same where well, you're sitting here five weeks later. 
Um, you know, so we have not seen anybody for Seattle uh, pr- improve the pass rush as we were kind of hoping that might be the case when Chenuosu went down. Jaron Reed right now is currently second on the team with six sacks at this point. And that is not something that I think a lot of people were anticipating. Um, so to me, not only did you lose the pass rushing element that Chenuosu provided the Seahawks. Most importantly, you you lost any type of physicality, consistency in terms of setting the edge in the running game. And again, one of the things I've talked about over and over again is just the lack of toughness that we've seen that Nichenna Nuosu absolutely brought the Seahawks. So to me, just like what you said, Cobra, a moment ago, as far as the fact that the Seahawks just are not utilizing the tight ends, not using the edge rushers to play sometimes against those tight ends on the defensive side of the ball either. And they just continue to roll light, lighter defensive ends, outside linebackers, and size is not everything, but these guys are just not handling those duties against the run at all. So it goes back to what I said earlier, that Draymond Jones has been maybe the most consistent edge defender that they have had defending the run, including Boy Mafe, the last three or four games. And so I think that's where you got to have him at primarily at this point. And one of the reasons that you can afford to do that, I'm going to exit this Tell the Truth Tuesday with a truth that I think is one is a, is a pleasant surprise, really. And it's that defensive tackle group. You know, there's been a lot of murmurs out there. We've got plenty of listeners. Hey, we read the comments during the show. We've seen plenty of you saying that Leonard Williams trade was terrible. Why did they trade away those draft picks? Can you imagine what this defense would look like right now without Leonard Williams out there? This should be one of your top priorities. In fact, I'm going to make an argument right now. He should be the top priority to re-sign this offseason. And it's not just because you gave up a second-round pick as part of that package to get him. He's got 21 quarterback pressures in the six games since they got him. He's got three sacks. He had three run stops on Sunday of two yards or less, two of those being on Christian McCaffrey. He has been fantastic. Really, the defensive tackle group, I think you can make an argument at least in the next couple of years it might actually be, at least at the top, the best position group Seattle's got from a consistency standpoint with Leonard Williams, Jaron Reed. I think Mario Edwards has earned an opportunity to come back for another year on a one-year contract. I like the veterans they have there. I think Miles Adams is a solid rotational player. Cameron Young's been a rookie. I think the stats aren't there, but he's been solid. This defensive tackle group, you keep it together. It's a much different situation than last year where they were basically throwing everybody out and trying to replace them. And I think that is one of the real pleasant surprises for this football team. So you can argue about the cost to get Leonard Williams, but he's not the reason they're one in five since they traded for him. In fact, this defense, I can't imagine the shape they would be in without him and Jaron Reed, the resurgent season he's had. Those two as your starters, they should be the starters next next year. I think there's a lot of position groups that you can look at and say, I think there's time for changes. But I feel like this is a really good defensive tackle group that at least for the next couple of years, you've got to keep the band together. Because these guys seem to fit that personnel grouping. They fit what the Seahawks are doing scheme-wise. And so it's been an exciting, positive development in a year that, quite frankly, hasn't had a lot of them up to this point. When we come back, we're going to shift gears to this upcoming Monday night football matchup against the Philadelphia Eagles. What's new with the defending NFC champs who are reeling a little bit coming into this primetime matchup? We'll get to that up next here on our Tuesday edition of Locked On Seahawks. 
Why root for the team that you love on an empty stomach? That's a game day travesty that ensures you won't be cheering at your very best. Order on the DoorDash app and save on football watch party favorites. You can get 50% off up to a $10 value when you spend $50 or more on your first order with the DoorDash app and enter in the code LOCKED23. When I'm kicking back and watching the game with my friends and family, I love to order Jet City Pizza. I talk about it all the time because, well, I eat it all the time. It's my favorite gluten-free pizza place with two-liter root beer and cinnamon sticks for the rest of the party. DoorDash makes the process easy, so I don't have to leave the comfort of my couch for delicious, great-tasting food before and after kickoff. If you're ready to satisfy your taste buds on game day, quench those cravings with your favorite local restaurants via DoorDash, Get 50% off up to a $10 value when you spend $15 or more on your first order by downloading the DoorDash app and entering the code LOCKED23, subject to change and terms apply. You're listening to the Tuesday edition of Locked on Seahawks. It's your host, Corbin Smith. Glad to be joined, as always, by my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. And a special thanks to all the 12s out there. Thank you for making Locked on Seahawks your first listen five days week we greatly appreciate it coming up tomorrow it's matchup wednesday we've got the seahawks and the eagles a monday night matchup we'll be diving into the key positional battles to watch on offense and defense heading into week 15 speaking of those philadelphia eagles they actually are in a little bit of a rough patch here got blown out by the dallas cowboys and the san francisco 49ers in back-to-back weeks, obviously really good football teams. The Seahawks have learned the hard way themselves here in recent weeks. As part of their four-game losing streak, they lost to those two teams. They combined three times. But this is going to be a game with two wounded birds getting ready to play on Monday Night Football. And still, this is an Eagles team that's won 10 games. They've only lost three. And even with a lot of changes on both sides of the football after winning the NFC Championship last year, you can make an argument that this team overall is more talented than the one that went to the Super Bowl a year ago. Yeah, I 100% believe that, that is the case, Corbin. I think that if, um, you know, for those of you watching on YouTube, you can see all the different additions and departures. Um, you know, I'll just kind of rattle off a few of those for those of you who are not watching on YouTube. And as Corbin often says, thank you so much to all of our listeners and viewers. Among the biggest additions, DeAndre Swift, the running back from the Detroit Lions, has brought a dynamic presence into the backfield, uh, along with Jalen Hurts, of course. Shaquille Leonard, um, the outside linebacker, had just been recently been uh, brought in to town. Uh, Kevin Byer, the, the safety, has been a huge addition for the, the Eagles because they have had some struggles with durability at the safety position. Some significant departures, Javon Hargrave being one of the biggest ones. Of course, the big defensive tackle that uh, has made the 49ers that much tougher in the middle. And speaking of being tough in the middle, as you said, Corbin, I, and I 100% agree with you, the Seahawks defensive tackle room has become one one of the relative strengths of this team, but it also was one of the relative strengths of the Philadelphia Eagles in large part because of number 98, Jalen Carter, who, of course, there is so much talk, myself included, that thought that the Seahawks were going to be taking Jalen Carter at number five overall. Instead, Carter slid all the way down to the Eagles, and he has become an absolute monster for the Eagles. And so uh, to me, that is the, the, the biggest names that you have to absolutely mention when it comes to the Eagles and why they are more talented now. The defensive tackle, Jalen Carter, the safety, Kevin Byron, and again, the uh, the running back, DeAndre Swift, to me, has made this Philadelphia Eagles still at 10-3 and 
three, in my opinion, still the most formidable team in the NFC. Yeah, I think the 49ers right now would be my pick just because we saw what they did to the Eagles a few weeks ago. And this team does have some flaws. It feels like the 49ers are a team that even their weaknesses they're not ones that necessarily jump out as glaring weaknesses. The Eagles have had major issues at the linebacker position. And part of that is N'Kobe Dean going down with what looks to be a season ending injury and not having the former Georgia Bulldog. And we're going to say that a lot in this episode, because it feels like the Eagles might as well just have the entire Georgia Bulldogs football team on their roster. At this point, they draft three or four of them every year. This past season, this past draft, they got Jalen Carter and Nolan Smith, another player that you and I mocked to the Seahawks on several occasions, thought might be a really good fit at the edge rusher position. They got both those former Georgia players in the first round. And, oh, by the way, they decided to go back and get Keely Ringo, the tall athletic corner, in the fourth round. So they drafted a bunch of Georgia players. But this team has had some issues defending the middle of the field with the passing game. That lends itself to a certain position group that should get a lot of targets, but I'm not going to keep saying it over and over again because clearly the Seahawks are not going to listen to that message. But I'm sure I'll talk about some tomorrow, but I digress. This, this is an Eagles team that has shown some flaws, and at the same time, their strengths are as good as anybody in the league. I think that Jalen Hurts, there's been some injuries this year, but his dual threat capability makes him a real problem to deal with. They've got outstanding receivers. A.J. Brown, I still can't believe that the Tennessee Titans traded him away the way that they did. And we've seen what's happened to the Titans without him, but he's been a huge addition to this Eagles offense. And I think DeAndre Swift has been a fantastic addition for this football team as well. One name we didn't have up on that list of additions is Rashad Penny because he never plays. <laughs> Eagles have never had to use him. He's been healthy scratched most of this season, but a big part of that has been the presence of DeAndre Swift. They acquired in a draft weekend trade for the Lions, and he's looked very much like the game-changing playmaker that the Lions thought they were getting as a second-round pick out of, you guessed it, Georgia. Yeah, exactly. That's the thing. As you mentioned, I mean, it basically feels like Georgia North here for the Philadelphia Eagles. And obviously the Bulldogs, two-time defending, uh, you know, FBS champions in, in college football. And they've brought that kind of championship pedigree um, up to the Philadelphia Eagles. And again, that's why, look, I, I'll do respect to I me. Mean, I, I watched the way that the, the 49ers and the Cowboys dismantled the Philadelphia Eagles the last couple of games. But still, in, in terms of just raw talent, um, in terms of experience playing at a high level, I, I still think the Philadelphia Eagles are the most gifted team. And as you said in the, you know, kind of the preview of this segment, uh, you're talking about two wounded birds here. I do think that the Seahawks are going to be the more desperate team. Obviously, they're at home. You have a, and well, in his words, pissed off Pete Carroll here. And so I think that that gives Seattle a little bit of advantage um, in this football game. But still, I think if the Seahawks are going to be able to pull off this victory, then they are going to be uh, demonstrating that they are a playoff caliber team. Because I think the Philadelphia Eagles are absolutely loaded. As you mentioned, the wide receiver position, especially A.J. Brown, Devontae Smith. I mean, just absolutely, uh, you know, two dynamic players and such different players. And that's one of the things that excites me about this matchup for the Seahawks uh, is just because you are going to be going up against some guys who are physically very, very gifted. Um, and so the Seahawks are going to have to play their best football if they're going to be able to match up with Philadelphia. 
And the Eagles also have an incredibly gifted cornerback group as well. You've got Darius Slay, who's still playing at an all-pro caliber level. James Bradbury, another guy the Panthers let get away that has had a really good run here the last couple years with the Philadelphia Eagles. Uh, They've got some really fun players at the quarterback position. There's more questions at the safety spot, although Kevin Byard has solidified that position, a former all-pro from the Titans. So this team has got a ton of star power and if you're a Seahawks fan, you're just hoping that the juggernaut doesn't wake up after two really rough performances coming out to Seattle. They are going to be looking to right the ship, too, because they're still battling for that number one seed. And that is going to make this a really compelling matchup to break down on Matchup Wednesday tomorrow. As always, you can follow me on threads at Corbin Smith NFL. You can follow Rob on X at Rob Rank. Subscribe and follow Locked on Seahawks on YouTube and wherever you listen to your podcast to make sure you don't miss a single episode. As I mentioned a few moments ago, matchup Wednesday returns tomorrow. We've got Seahawks versus Eagles Monday night football matchup. And man, there's some marquee matchups on both sides of the football that I know Rob and I can't wait to break down. Make sure that you are listening in. Thanks for tuning in tonight's episode and enjoy the rest of your Tuesday. Go Hawks.